Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Some of y'all remember when they used to sing and preach. Praise God. I just get excited being in church. How many excited to learn about Jesus today? Are you excited? Amen. Man, aren't you glad that we learn about Jesus in church? Man, hopefully you've all been visiting the website. All of the messages are there. Just Man, I just look at what God is doing in this ministry. It's so beautiful. Some of our elders are going to begin to start preaching-ish. And um, Ricky as well are going to start taking some of these verses and preaching them. As well in our, our youth ministry with Sue Ellen and Adolfo and the others. God is just teaching us. And as you, you, you see me teaching it, I mean, hopefully you understand that you don't need a microphone and, a, you know, a, a nice sweater on a nice platform to start preaching. You know, you can just preach on, on your job, you know, right next to your, your, your coworker, your students. You know, this was never meant to be just in seminaries for, uh, you know, the intellectually elite. This is meant for you and I to take it and share it with others. If you believe it, can you say amen? Amen. Let's go to Matthew 4, 23. And today's message is going to be probably one of my favorites. It's like exciting to preach this because we get to talk about Jesus, a man of miracles. And today, guess what we're going to ask Jesus to do? Some miracles. We are going to take Jesus at his word. We're going to look at how Jesus has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today, whatever your need is, we're going to pray for it. And not only today, but preparing you for next week when the Teen Challenge Choir comes. Hopefully today will inspire you. We'll have some testimony, some healing, some deliverance, God setting people free. And you will bring your friends and family here next week, and we're going to do it all over again. And as a matter of fact, that's what we try to do between worship and the service, uh, the sermon rather, is we want to pray for needs. And when we're praying for needs, I'm not like, uh, you know, standing at the mall throwing in my quarter at the wishing well. You know, I remember in our mall in my hometown, you know, you would just throw in a quarter at that little wishing well. Anybody ever done that? You know, make a wish, throw that in. Well, we're not just making wishes up here for you to get healed. We're not just making wishes. Oh, God, just here's a little prayer. Would you please bless so-and-so with the new job? No, we as pastors, we as Christians ought to pray prayers that get answers. If I keep praying for something and to someone and they never answer me, I'm probably praying to myself. Amen? I mean, something's not right. Now, there is times and seasons to answers of prayer. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus showed us that miracles can happen. Everybody say, Jesus, the miracle man. Thank you. Now, let's look at uh, Matthew 4, verse 23. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Somebody say every. You see, Jesus had a 100% batting average or a 1,000% batting average when it came to his prayers being answered. Every time Jesus prayed, he got the answer. Jesus never prayed a prayer that did not get answered. Do you all see that right here? There wasn't a time that somebody came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, can you heal me? And then Jesus prayed, Father, heal them. And then he opened his eyes or whatever, and there was no healing. Every time Jesus prayed, he got an answer. Now, here's a unique thing, and this may not seem fair, but this is also true. Jesus did not go around healing everybody, though. See, the key is everyone that came to him was healed, but he did not go to everybody and heal them, meaning sickness was still on the earth when Jesus was here. He didn't go around to however many millions of people were on the planet at that time being like Dr. Jesus. Okay, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, because Jesus never would have taught and done the other things. So watch this. Jesus went where the Father led him to go, and as he was going, and you're going to read, we're going to see many stories like this in the book of Matthew. In each one, we see Jesus heal somebody, whether it's the woman with the issue of blood or the Roman guard that wants his servant to be healed. We're going to learn basically the same lesson, the foundation for every single one of these healings. The people came to him. 
They came to Jesus. And so what you see is while Jesus was going about teaching, as it says here, people came to him and were healed. So the key that I want us to learn here today is Jesus wants you to come to him. Amen? This is not something if God is real, he comes to me, you put out some challenge before God. God, I double dare you to cross this line and then I know you're real. No, this is the principle. He went out teaching and healing people. Now watch, verse 24. News spread about him all over Syria, and people brought to him, see, people are bringing to him all who were ill with various diseases. Now listen to me. If you have someone that is handicapped or someone that has issues or you yourself has issues, if you do not come to Jesus, we can't even ask him to heal you. We can't even do it the right way. That's why we're asking you this next Sunday, now that you're being prepared this Sunday, to bring the sick, bring the wheelchairs. We have nothing to lose but only everything to gain. Amen? I mean, they go to therapy every day. They take medication every day. A lot of the doctors are doing guesswork with that, uh, you know, these therapies, especially if they're terminal, uh, terminal. You know, are you all listening to me? You have nothing to lose saying, hey, Aunt Mima, I know that you had a stroke and you're in this wheelchair. Now, would you come to church with me so that we can pray for you? Now, I was driving down uh, my street one day, and I saw the Catholic Church said they were going to pray for pets. Now, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, that's kind of silly, and I can just only imagine what that service looks like. You know, someone comes in with their animal, and they're being prayed for. And I, just, I just thought that was kind of laughable. I'm sorry if you guys ever were part of something like that. The second thing I was thinking about is people must do that. Like, if they put up the sign and, 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 you know, they're advertising, then there must be somebody waking up that morning going, I need to bring my pet foo-foo that's been having the little sniffles to my church so that the priest could anoint him and be healed. What I'm saying is, if Aunt Mima has enough faith to bring her dog to get prayed for, let's have some faith to bring him to this church to get prayed for in the name of Jesus to be healed. You know, and then there's another one. This, that's kind of more far out. But, but how about this? You see all of these remedies on TV today. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, your healing is in your colon. And this guy's talking about your colon. Anybody seen these infomercials? And it's like all about your colon. If you just fix your colon, your cancer disappears. You lose weight. You have more energy. And, and how many people know there's people all over America, maybe some here today. We don't want to offend you. But, but you buy these books. And, and maybe there's truth in there. But listen to me. If you're willing to sit and listen to that man talk about colons and buy a $25 book, can we at least be willing to come to a place that says we'll pray for them in the name of Jesus? Can you say amen? Okay, verse 24. News spread about him all over Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. That's what we got to do. Now look at how they break this down. Those suffering severe pain. So if you know somebody suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, if you know anybody possessed, bring them on, okay? Having seizures and the paralyzed. See, there wasn't like Jesus, you know, only Jesus can heal headaches. Only Jesus can heal a cold. No, they brought the one that was paralyzed, couldn't move, you know, you know, being disformed. You know, leprosy, by the way, which Jesus was all about healing leprosy. Most of the time when he talks about healing, leprosy is always in that list of stuff. He was healing this and this and leprosy. It always says that usually except for right here. Leprosy was a skin-eating disease. And, and it still is in some countries where they don't treat it. Listen to me. When we're talking about Jesus healed leprosy, we're not just talking like Jesus healed acne. Leprosy would sometimes eat off people's limbs. Sometimes people would be missing arms and legs and ears and noses. How many have ever studied anybody here in the medical field? It disabilitates your body. Jesus healed them. That means there were people with fingers growing out. That means there were people with legs growing. There were people with ears. We're talking about, hey, if we believe in a miracle man that can heal a seizure, he can heal leprosy, and he can heal you and me. Amen? You see, this is going to be real personal today. See, I want us to believe that Jesus is a miracle man. You see, if Jesus created us, he can heal us. Amen? So it says large crowds, verse 25. From Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Everybody say, Jesus, a man of miracles. Now, the first thing I want you to look at right here is that Jesus relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the principles we're going to learn today. Remember, we're going through the life of Jesus. We're right now at Matthew 4. What have we already learned? Jesus was baptized. 
Jesus was tempted. Jesus chose his disciples. Now Jesus goes out and performs miracles. But let's go back to that baptism. Remember when Jesus was baptized? What came from heaven that day and rested on him? Does anybody remember? A dove. And what was really that dove? The Holy Spirit, because the Bible doesn't say a dove came down. No, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. So we see that Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus gave the same power to his disciples. And number three, we can see miracles today in Jesus' name. So watch this, y'all. This is what we're going to learn today, is that when Jesus walked this earth, he did not come here as God only. He came here as God inside of man. And as being a man, he had to do things like you and I. When he put on his earth suit and came down to heaven, see, his eternal Eternal soul had always existed. You see, that's another reason why I don't really understand Christmas, because he was never born. Jesus was not born. Jesus has existed from all eternity. Only thing that happened was Jesus took on flesh to be a man at a certain time, but it's not like that's when Jesus' existence started. Does everybody get that? Jesus, the Bible says in John chapter 1, was with God from the beginning. He was here at the creation of the world. He is not just a man that was born, then was a prophet, and died and went to heaven. No, he is the second person of the Godhead. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, Go baptize in the one name of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, there's not many gods. There's one God and three persons. And what we're going to learn today is that everything Jesus did, he did as a man, just how you and I are of man. Women and men, same thing, we're all of mankind. Jesus had miracle power the same way you and I can have miracle power. He got it from the Holy Spirit. Are you all ready to learn that? Can you say amen? You're all going to love this right now. Look at Acts 10, 37. This is going to help some of you. Because what we have thought, and, and trust me, guys, this is sound theology. This is nothing um, outside of sound theology. But what we have thought is that when Jesus came, he came here as God. And that's why he could walk on water. Why? Because Jesus is God. When he raised the dead, why could Jesus raise the dead? Because he's God. No, 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 no. Do you understand if Jesus came here as God, we would all have died and suffered eternal damnation? The Bible says that no one can see God and live. See, you all got to put some things together in the Bible. See, here you're going to be taught. We're not just going to throw it at you, have a good time, shout and holler and go home. And you're like, what happened? I don't know. I had a good time, though. What did he talk about? I don't know, but it was still good because he was shouting a lot. And I was amen. And now, we're, we're going to get some understanding here. Watch this. We, we got so many scriptures to go to. I, I just don't know how many we can go to and pray and take communion. So just be patient with me as I quote them to you. Just trust me. If you need them, I email them to you. And by the way, it's just all over my website. And also Tuesdays at 10 p.m. I do a live webcast so you can be at the comfort of your own home in a computer and ask me as many questions as you want. That's not only for the country. That's for you, by the way. Now, listen, when Jesus came to earth, he came as a man. God never gets tired. The Bible says in Isaiah, he neither sleeps nor slumbers, but Jesus slept. So did you ever think about that? So Jesus must have been a man. Then you think to yourself, would God ever be hungry? No, God is a spirit. But the Bible says over and over at different times, Jesus was hungry and he ate, etc. God never gets tired. God creates created the whole universe but it says in john chapter 4 jesus got tired and sat down at the well and waited for the woman to come so what is this concept called in philippians chapter 2 it says that jesus christ humbled himself as god and became a man that word humbled himself in the greek is called the word kenosis everybody say kenosis Y'all going to learn some, uh, some theology right now. That is called kenosis. That description is called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union describes when God humbled himself, became a man, and joined himself to flesh and lived like a man. Philippians 2 says he took all of his glory as divinity and he set it to the side. It was still his. He still was very much God. He still was the creator of the universe 
the Alpha, the Omega, and all of the titles we know in the Bible. But he set that to the side, humbled himself, and joined his soul, his eternal God nature, to man. He is then the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. That concept is called, in theology, the hypostatic union found in Philippians 2, known as the kenosis. And in John chapter 1, it says it so easily, in the beginning was the Word. That is Jesus. He was with God, and he was God. Then you go down to John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only, the Son of God. No one has seen God at any time, but God the only, the Son, has made him known to us. Can you all say amen? Look at your Bible and just test and make sure I said that right. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Just make sure I said that right, because I want you to make sure that pastor's just not making up stuff. And maybe I watched Peter Pan last night, and I got that confused in my Bible sermon today. Amen. I want you all to look at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. This just make sure I did that okay. Somebody say, preach it, pastor. Amen. It says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, I was doing all right. Amen. Praise God. Somebody reads their Bible this week. Amen. Anybody else read their Bible this week? Amen. Praise God. It says, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at verse 16. For we have the fullness of His grace. We have received one blessing from another. Now verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. So you have to understand the Trinity to understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not showing up on this planet like he had showed up with Moses on the mountain. He was not showing up here like he had showed up with Elijah and brought down pillars of fire and just destroyed 500 prophets of Baal. Jesus is now showing up as a man. That is Isaiah chapter 9, that he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That word Emmanuel means God with us. The prophecy was that the Messiah, which means the anointed one, would come from heaven in the form of man and live among us. Can you say amen? Now watch what happened with Jesus on this earth. Acts 10.37, this is the apostles describing how Jesus was, how I'm describing him to you. They say, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. So this is right here, one of the disciples talking about what happened with Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. You see, what we learn right here is that Jesus was anointed by his Father. You see, this is the divine mystery. Paul calls it a mystery in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, the mystery of godliness is great. God was made manifest. Let's turn there with me. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Can I give it to you hot off the oven today? I don't even have all these up. I just got to give them to you. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, preached among the nations, appeared in the Bible. Look at this. Ephesians 3:16. When you're there, can you say I'm there? Okay, if you're not, say hold up. Oh, I'm sorry. First Timothy, I'm getting too excited. I'm getting too excited. Forgive me. First Timothy, chapter 3. Some of you I think are too too hooked on the the PowerPoint for Jesus up here. You're good you're good. Some of you all still listening to? All right. Some if, unless it's up here they can't figure it out. They're like, "Timothy." All right. First Timothy 3, verse 16. If you're there, can you say I'm there? It says, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Now, it says, he appeared in a body. But I'm quoting the King James. And if you look down at the bottom of your NIV, you can see a little, little, little 16 and a little in the flesh there, kind of in, in, a, in a slanted there. It's kind of showing you there's variations of this text. I prefer the King James. But we'll read out the NIV. It says, he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit. You see, so this is talking about God. This is Jesus. He came in a body. This is a mystery. Paul's saying it's a great mystery. He came in a body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. So what he did was by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. Somebody say, that's a great mystery. 
You see, today when we take communion, we're not even just thanking, you know, a good man like you and I are a good man, for uh, good people for doing something. What we are doing is thanking God for coming down in the flesh to live like us and then to die for us. That will be like you having a pet and your pet getting sick and saying, I'm going to become a dog, take a whipping as a dog so that my dog can get healed. I mean, and this still does not even compare to how Jesus stepped down from godhood to manhood. I mean, he is the ultimate creator. He created us. He knew us. He knew everything from the alpha, the, the end, the beginning and the end. And he came down and he let people whip him. He let people spit on him. He let people slap him. He even, come on, even think about this he let people ask him questions i mean you're god why would you even let somebody ask you a question you know parents and people in authority we can get to the point like it's it's just because i say so you know it's just it's just this way do it because i said so you know jesus could have came down in the moment the first jewish person said but why do you say this he could have been everybody see how he just died y'all gonna be next this is exactly how i take care of business down here you see, Jesus didn't have to take our questions, Jesus. How, you know, Peter, Peter actually was trying to talk Jesus to not go to the cross. Peter was like, you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. And Jesus told, told him, Satan, get behind me. You see, you know, Jesus could have just told him, Peter, I was the wrong answer. You died. Game over. But he was nice to him. He just called him Satan, amen, and just rebuked him and kept moving. You see, God became flesh. Jesus received his power from the Holy Spirit. My whole point in saying this is we're going to get to the end of the story today, and that same power that Jesus tapped into is here. We just need to connect to it. Amen? Now, we understand that the difference between us and Jesus is that we are born with a corrupted nature. We're born with a mind that is is led to temptation, where Jesus was born perfect of Mary. His flesh did not come from Adam and Eve. The Bible says that that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary with a perfect mind, a perfect body. So that is the, the holy conception with the Virgin Mary, is that Jesus was not born out of natural wedlock and relations so his body was different and i think that that plays into why he could always do the perfect will of god because he himself was perfect so in that sense we are different from jesus amen but in the sense and he's going to teach us here how we can be like him but in the sense as being a child of god we are to have a relationship with god and we are to pray and see prayers answered and especially pastors and those in charge of churches and leading leadership we should be leading the example with an anointing and then those who raise up in this church ought to have an anointing look at your neighbor and say you ought to be anointed Amen. Okay, look at John 5, 19. It's up here. It says, Jesus relied upon the Father. It it goes, Jesus gave them this answer. This is what he taught the people. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. But whatever the Father does, the Son can also do. You see Jesus' relationship here to the Father? Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. You see, as a man, what he is saying is, hey, I'm not in charge up down here like I was up there. I don't call the shots down here. And that's why a lot of people, especially cults like Jehovah Witnesses, want to say, well, Jesus couldn't have been equal with God because there's only one God and that's the Father. And then now here Jesus is saying, I'm not God. I, I need the Father. And that's why Jehovah Witnesses teach, and this is the, the number one attack against Jesus' divinity, is that Jesus was just a divine um, or a a better being than a human. He's not a human and he's not God. He's like somewhere in there. He's like an angel. He's he's a more divine being than us, but he's still not equal with God because he says here, I can't do anything unless the Father helps me. Now, before you all get confused, if you see it their way, you could probably see it. There's a point there. But now you have to put this, what I've just taught you with John and Timothy, what he is saying here is in the flesh as a man. I follow the Father. Why? Because Jesus was an example unto us. Jesus was showing us, hey, I don't do anything unless the Father shows me to do it. So that one day you and I would say, I don't do anything unless I see Jesus do it. So the same way the the same Superman power that came to Jesus, made him walk on water, raise the dead, he is going to show us that is for you and I. Can you say amen? 
Jesus humbled himself, became a man. As a man, he relied upon the Holy Spirit, and he relied upon a relationship with the Father. That's why you might say, if Jesus was God, why did he have to pray? He's God. He's talking to himself. No, he prayed so that we would learn how to pray, so that he would be example. Why was he baptized? He wasn't a sinner that needed to repent. He did it as an example. Somebody say, Jesus is our example. All right, let's keep going. I only got about 20 more scriptures. Amen? All right, go to Matthew three sixteen through 17. And as you're turning there, you're just going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus. I'm just going to walk you through it, and you're going to get it so simply today. And today, you're going to have confidence, not in me, not in a pastor, but in Jesus Christ, that when you pray, you can have answers. That if somebody says to you, Hachoo! I have a cold, and, and, and you say, I'm going to pray for you. You can actually know how to pray and believe that someone gets healed. You, when you, as parents, when there's something in your family going wrong, whether it's financially and you need a miracle, whether it's your child that's sick or, or a, a problem, a, an addiction, something going wrong in your family, you can say, I'm going to pray that God does a miracle in this family, and you can expect to see a miracle. Can you say amen? See, I want us to get excited about this. I want us to believe that God still does miracles. I hope that at least your time here at Metro Praise, this is not the first mention of us believing God can do miracles, okay? Because if it is, I apologize to you and repent to you, for I have failed you as a pastor. Because if all of I have shown you is that we sing some songs, get excited, and go out and feed the poor, and we have not shown you that God can do miracles, then we have failed you as a church, because as a church, we're supposed to be representing this power on earth. And I hope that you have seen it, and, and I do believe you have, because we've seen people like Adolfo, who've come with addictions and get set free. We've seen people like Joselito, who are on depression medication, take no more depression medication. We have seen sick bodies healed here. We have seen people like Cindy have no money and just working a job believing for a car. One week she gives an offering in the, in, in the church offering to Nancy and I, and then now God gives her a car. You see, you should be seeing miracles around here. And one of the things we have to believe God for is that we can also be healed. And I could take off these glasses and say, Jesus, heal me. And you can look at your, your cancer and say, cancer, be gone. And we can get bold in our prayers. Now you might say, Pastor, what happens if we don't get healed? Well, then we just pray again. But what happens if we do get healed? We have shown God's power on this earth. And, and as I said from the beginning, only Jesus was perfect. He was the only one that never sinned. He was the one that always got answers to prayer. So until we can get to that place where we never sin, we'll probably always be struggling with getting every prayer answered because we're not perfect. We don't always understand the will of God. We don't always understand things that are happening. God, through Jesus Christ, had a perfect relationship that whenever that man prayed, it was done. And I think you and I need to get to that place. Can you say amen? We're going to say amen like 20 times here today. Probably already said it 20 already. Look what it says. And Jesus was baptized. He went out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. See, why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? He's God, right? Well, as a man in this clay body, in this dirt body, he needed the anointing to be upon him just like you and I needed upon us so that when he spoke his words things would change so that when he laid hands on sick people they would be healed so that when it was god's will for him to walk on water his feet would cross that water like it was land he needed the holy spirit he saw the spirit descending on him like a dove now just kind of watch up here because i got to go through a bunch more here luke four sixteen talks about jesus going to the temple this is correlating to the same time of after he gets baptized but it's in the book of luke and by the way, everyone look up here real quick. I want you to think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as a quadraphonic uh, stereo system. Anybody have surround sound at home? Quadraphonic, you know, front and back and subs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know? Okay, you've been to a movie theater, you know, boom, boom, and it's in the back of you, like, woo! Like, you hear that sound, you know? Okay, watch. When you hear the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like surround sound, okay? When I have my surround sound come on, the story, the movie is on, the one story, okay? But I'll hear sounds out the left side that I don't hear 
and the right side. It doesn't mean the right and the left and the right are contradicting each other. It just means, you know, someone's coming from the left and there's a car going from the right. So there's two different sounds. Watch. The Gospels do not contradict each other, but what they do is tell different parts of the story. You see, Matthew does not record this part of the story, but Luke does. And what it's called is the chronological order of Jesus' life. If you put together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, excuse me, and John, you find out that there's one congruent story that Jesus follows from A to B, and I actually have this, uh, A to Z actually, I actually have this whole Bible of the chronological life of Jesus, and you can see how they all fit together. So anytime you're reading the Gospels, and it's like in Luke, after Jesus got baptized, and he goes to the temple, reads these scriptures, but then you read in Matthew, after Jesus got baptized, he picked disciples, and he went out preaching the Gospel, and you're like, hold on, Luke says, after he got baptized, he went to church. The other scripture says, after he got baptized, he picked disciples. You and I might think that's contradictory, right? Like, man, what's going on? Sounds like Jesus is doing two things at once. You couldn't do that. No, what's happening is, is one is saying after Jesus got baptized, these things happened. And another one is saying these things happened, but they happened in different orders. And one is just picking out these events. Another person is picking out another event. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're coming to church here, and you hit like five stoplights, okay? But at one of the stoplights, you see a car accident. So when you come here to church, you say, man, I was at a stoplight, and I saw a car accident. Right now, that doesn't mean that you just flew from your house to that stoplight and saw a car accident. We all take for granted that you passed the other stoplights. Now, let's say Eddie Bertle tells that story. Now, Betty comes and says, we were driving, and as we kept passing stoplight after stoplight, I was getting hungry, and I was looking at McDonald's, and I wanted to stop and get sunny. And she elongates the story, and then she says, then I saw the car crash. How many know it's still the same story? No contradiction. One is just highlighting other events. You all got that? Man, I came to teach and preach. Amen? Right back to Luke chapter 4. Jesus right here gets done being baptized, and he goes to church. He takes the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he reads verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus said, God is upon me. The Spirit is here because he has anointed me. Everybody say, anointed me. To preach good news to the poor, set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord. So Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember right up here, he gets baptized. He got baptized right there, right? Now, I'm telling you in chronological order, even though Matthew goes on to him picking disciples and going out preaching, he first then went to church in Luke, if that makes any sense. You all starting to get this now? So he gets baptized, then he goes to church, okay? And in church, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's why he could go out and do the things that we were just learning right here in Matthew, where it says he went out, he was anointed by Jesus and did good things. And right here it says he went out teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news. That happened. Because why? He's telling us how he's going to do what he's doing. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. So where did Jesus, God in the flesh, get his power from, y'all? Come on, everybody say the Spirit of the Lord. Let's say it again. Where did Jesus get his power from? Spirit of the Lord. Okay, now we get it. Now let's move to point two. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 5. See, some of you are connecting the dots right now. Because in a few moments, we're going to feel Jesus. People may be falling on the floor. People may be laughing and crying. Some people may go to their car, grab some cigarettes, throw them down here, rip them up and dance on them. I remember when Adolfo came and got set free, he brought all his bottles of liquor and threw them in the guards. So before it gets crazy up in here, we want you to know what's going on. Amen? I want you to see what is happening when the church gets a hold of God's power. And you know how I look at the power? I look at it like electricity, because that's something that we don't see. But when we touch it, we know it's there. Amen? It's like you don't see, and all of a sudden you touch that wire. It's like, you feel it. Now watch. Another thing about that electricity is each one of us would touch it and have different reactions. Some of us would touch it and be like, woo! Another of us would touch it and go, mm! You know what I'm saying? Another one would touch it and be like, ah! And start running around. Well, that's what happens when you touch Jesus. Some people be like, thank you, Lord! Other people are like, woo! Other people are like, they just fall out. Jesus just touched me. You understand? Like, oh, Jesus touched me! Jesus touched me! And they're just crying. You see, because when you touch God, it goes through your emotions. Amen. 
We ought to get connected to God. Amen? When you came in here, you ought to feel the electricity of God's Spirit. You ought to feel different than you just walking into a museum. You ought to feel God in this place. And it makes some people want to shout. And it makes others just want to pray. And others cry in His presence. And others just dance around. Amen? You see, we feel God's presence. The Holy Spirit is here. Now watch how it got here. Acts chapter 1, 5 through 8. Jesus came to this earth in the flesh. It was a mystery. And as he was here, he taught us how he got his power was from the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to ascend to heaven. One of his last discussions is in the book of Acts, which is continuing to teach you here. The book of Acts is the second book to Luke. They both have the same writer. Luke wrote Luke's and Acts together. These are two congruent stories stories, by the way. And this is what it says. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus said, guys, the same Holy Spirit that helped me walk on water is coming to you. The same Holy Spirit that changes lives and set free demon-possessed people, it's coming on you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's coming to you. Come on, look at your other neighbor until they get excited and say, it's coming to you. This is what he taught us. It says, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they said, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We don't know who said that, that, but that was probably, you know, like Simon the Zealot, the revolutionary. You know, revolution, are we going to kill everybody now and have Armageddon Jesus? No, (laughs) hold up. We're not ready for Armageddon yet, guys. You see, in the Jewish mind, they thought it was Messiah come, Armageddon, then, you know, perfect world. But see, the way Jesus had it was Jesus come, die, preach the gospel to non-Jewish people, us Gentiles, amen, and then he'd come back. So thank God that he cared about the rest of the world, amen, because if the Jewish people at this time would have had their way, they would have set fire to the world and just had it all be about them, the chosen people. But Jesus said, hold up here, guys. Before we have a revolution in Armageddon, we've got to get everybody else in here, amen? So it says, is this the time? Jesus said, no. It's not for you to know the times or the dates set by the Father by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses get excited somebody in jerusalem in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth he said you shall receive power that word power in the greek is dunamis it's where we get that word dynamite jesus said you see me explode some demons in my life you see me explode some sickness and disease and now y'all sad that i'm leaving but he says another's coming in my place he's the holy ghost and he's going to give you explosion power on the inside of you and you're going to be a witness for me wherever you go unto Jerusalem, Judea into Chicago, your workplace on Belmont and Clark there is exploding power in the name of Jesus Woo! This is not another religion made by man. We are not praying five times towards Mecca, towards a God who does not hear us. We have a living God who is here today, and He still answers prayers. If you believe it, will you give Him praise? Hallelujah! We don't deserve it. He could have said, I'm... I'm taking it back to heaven with me and y'all can't get it anymore. But he said, no, I'm going to pour it on you. And if you read Acts chapter 2, when Peter got hit by it, he starts speaking in tongues. He starts prophesying. And they go out into the city streets. They think that they're drunk. Peter says, it's just 3 in the afternoon. And he said, but this was what was promised by the prophet Joel, that in the last days God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. He said, sons and daughters would prophesy. Young men would see vision. Old men would dream dreams. Come on, somebody. It's time for God to move. It is time for us to show this world that God is here. You know, Charles Finney said, an old 1800s pastor, he said, if we preach the gospel and there's no power, we do more harm to the gospel than help the gospel. And you know what's happening today with Christmas services and Easter services? They hear his name preached, but there's no power. They see the cross, but there's no conviction. And what people become is numb. They become numb to it, where they can wear a cross to a club and find no problem with it, where they can put up a baby Jesus in their house and still abuse their children because all it's become is a fashion trend. But Charles Finney said the greatest thing a Christian can do is live like a Christian because God will change the world through Christians. You know, all we have to do is just say, God, I believe you can answer prayer. 
Let our children, moms and dads, see us on our knees getting answers to our prayers. Let them see that we're set free from our addictions and the things that bind us up. Let us pray for our healings and our miracles and let them see God move on our behalf. You see, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he said, Fellas, you want to be disciples? You're going to do what I did? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Church was never supposed to be a social club. Church was never just supposed to be a place where we talked about doctrines and histories and ideas. Though I love to teach those things, this ought to be a place where somebody can walk in, touch the electricity of God, and feel his presence. Amen. There ought to be something different in us. There's stories upon stories that could bring you books of history of how churches have impacted their world, whether it's just a person riding the train and those in the train begin to cry because they say, I look at you, ma'am, sir, and I see Jesus in you, and it convicts me of my sins. Pray for me here. There's been stories of when people used to work in coal mines with their horses and they were whipping their horses with curse words. When they got saved, they couldn't even speak the right words to their donkeys to get them to work because they only listen to cuss words and they had to close down the coal mine and go to church and say we can't work anymore until we retrain these donkeys how to work because God changed their lives. There's stories of bars becoming churches. There's stories of nations being transformed in Colombia, in Nigeria, in different places of the world, in, in China. All of these places you see the gospel growing. It's through signs and wonders. And let me tell you something today. Why the church in America is dying is because we've allowed these swindlers and these Pentecostal pimps on television to take our money and lie to us. And it doesn't come with power anymore. You don't need seven steps to a better life now. You need the power of the Holy Spirit now. You need God to revolutionize your life. We don't need 12 steps. One step to Jesus. I've met people who have struggled with drugs and alcohol and depression. There's a woman in our building that struggled with depression for 30 years still taking her medication. There is no cure for the diseases of the heart except Jesus Christ. You need to get on fire for God and let God change you and show you who He is. Hallelujah, I got saved in a whirlwind of fire. Some of you got saved in that same fire. And people told me, Pastor it will, or Joe, it will stop. You'll give up and quit. No, the devil's a liar. Twelve years later, I'm still on fire for Jesus. Mas fuego de Dios. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if it costs me passing back a plate and fasting. You and I ought to pray. Some people might say, well, Pastor, you emphasize godly disciplines. That's right, we emphasize godly disciplines of prayer and fasting and going out witnessing. Because there's a power upon us that, like Jeremiah said, woe unto me if I hold it in. It's like fire shot up in my bones. I have to get it out. We are here to live and die for Jesus Christ. And that will transform your life. Whether you're a postman, a mailman, a police officer, going to the military, every facet of our lives, we can walk in the divine power of God. We can see God move. It's about time that Christians live like Christians in everyday life. Let it be said of you that in your job, when there's an issue, a need, a prayer, they come to you and the need is met. That they see that God answers prayer again. Amen? We're not going to the wishing well. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I don't think it gets any more simpler than that. Amen? Just give me the Bible. Let's preach somebody. Are you up in here? Can you say amen? That's what Jesus said. Verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. If you believe and you believe in I believe in my name, in his name, we ought to drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes with our hands, and drink deadly poison. It will not hurt us. Lay our hands on the sick, and they will get well. Can you say amen? You say, Pastor, are we supposed to be like them boys down there in South Carolina and start holding up these uh, snakes? What that is saying is that you will be invincible until God says it's your time to go. They tried to poison the disciples. Snakes and things along the hazards of traveling bit them, and they thought they would die. But disciples kept preaching until Jesus brought them home. 
God is able to keep us in the midst of preaching the gospel on the, in the ghettos, in the places of danger, because he said right here, he will protect us. Now look at verse 19. After he spoke those words to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out. See, you can't stay where you are. They went out and preached everywhere. You see that right there? That's our part. We've got to get out and preach. Just get up and preach. Pastor, I don't know everything. Just get up and preach what you do know. Pastor, I'm afraid. Just get up and preach and God will give you boldness. Pastor, what if everybody leaves me? It's better to have God for you and everybody against you than to have everyone for you and God against you. Just get up and go. It says, when they got up and preached everywhere, the Lord worked with them and confirmed His Word. Somebody say, confirmed His Word. You see, when I step up here in a few moments and pray for you, it's not my word that needs to be confirmed. It is God's word that needs to be confirmed, and he will confirm it his, himself. He's not a man that he should lie. If he is, this is not true, then he's a liar. But I know him to be true after 12 years. He heals. He sets free. He delivers. Are you listening? We got to go and preach. And someone's preaching to you today. And that's why next week, bring your friends, bring your family, and let's hold God at His Word. Let's throw up down, let's throw down our cigarettes at the altar. Gentlemen, any pornography in your house, throw it down. Let's give our hearts to Jesus. Let's believe He can set us free. And let's yield our bodies to Him and ask Him to perform miracles so that He may be glorified. Amen? Oh, praise God. He worked with them. I just want Jesus to work with me today. Amen. I just want him to work with you, Jason. I just want you to be obedient, and I want the Lord to work with us. I thank God that Adolfo told me that Friday with the young people, they talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in new tongues. He didn't need a pastor there. He didn't need a theologian there. He was there, and God was there, and that was good enough. And all there needed to be was young people that wanted an experience with God, something better than drugs, something better than winning a championship. And he said three got baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Woo! You might say, Pastor, I thought that was old-fashioned. No, my friend, it's still happening. When you don't need to get high off Jesus, you let me know, but I need him every day. I'm hooked on Jesus, amen? Some people say, oh, we don't need miracles anymore. Oh, people aren't sick anymore. I don't know how Christians could ever promote a lie that, like, that, like Jesus don't want to heal anybody anymore, that we're not here to speak in tongues anymore. Man, that's like saying we don't need God anymore. How many people you know need to be healed? How many people you know need to get set free? They've tried the nicopatch, nicoderm, gum, everything you can imagine, but they still have not tried Jesus. Hello. We ought to bring Jesus to them, and the Lord will confirm his word. Can you say amen? Oh, praise God. About halfway through, fellas. About halfway through, brothers and sisters. Can you all say, preach it? Hallelujah. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. This is Paul saying, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. Somebody say, he anointed us. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his what? Spirit. And where is his spirit? In our hearts, guaranteeing what is to come. When you got saved, God's spirit came inside of you. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking other tongues, his spirit comes out from you. You are saved when you get Jesus in your heart by the Spirit of God. See, we don't have a little miniature Jesus living in us. Like, they thought, Jesus, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm just, I'm just dodging the capillaries and all the blood vessels. You know, we know Jesus is not there in that heart. But we know that he's there. Why? Because the Spirit is with us. And our soul. And another word for our soul is our spirit. So when we talk about Jesus is with me, and my saying the resurrected Lord and Savior with the crucified body that's been resurrected is now with me. No, what I'm saying, He's with me as the Spirit is with me. For the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they are one. Where the Spirit is, the Father and the Son is. Amen? And so when you accepted Jesus, you said, I believe in you. His Spirit came to your soul. He came and touched you in the places of your life that no one could ever touch you. They're called the intangible, incorporeal places of your being, your soul. God came to you and you were reborn. And then he anointed you. He set you apart. Anointed means to be covered with the Spirit of God, set apart for a purpose with power. 
You could just say it like this. You have an unction to function. Amen? An anointing is an unction to function now for God. Things that you couldn't do before, now you can. Why? Because you are anointed. You can stop cussing. Why? Because you have an unction to function with a pure mouth. You can stop thinking depressive thoughts because you are anointed. You have an unction to function. God is moving inside of you. And that scripture in 1 John sounds good right about now where it says, Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. That comes the day you get saved. That is that same anointing that came upon Jesus when He was baptized. That's that same anointing that happened in the book of Acts when the Spirit fell on the disciples. Paul said, Fellas, brothers and sisters, you have it too. And it's the anointing of God. Can you say amen? I just love saying amen. That means right on, so be it. Would you stand with me to your feet today? We are going to apply the Word of God. Amen. God is in this place. Not by my explosive, exciting preaching, though I love Jesus and I'm excited. How many of y'all excited? Amen. If you're not excited, can you tell I'm excited? <laughs> Praise God that I, that I do a pretty good job today as your pastor. Amen. See, I'm believing this. Now, let's just let's put it now where it belongs. We, we could just end right there and say, man, my pastor's a great pastor. He just taught us so good about miracles and calling on God. And as you're going home sniffling and sneezing, you know, oh, my pastor taught me about miracles. You know, as you're going home addicted to some substance, some, something in your life, well, why not apply it now? Let's just do what the man said we could do. Reviewing the message. Jesus was God in the flesh. It was a great mystery. But he came down as man. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. By that Holy Spirit, he did the works of God. He then said that we could do the same thing by that same Holy Spirit. The disciples got it in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. That's why we call ourselves Pentecostals. Not because our women can't wear makeup and we have to wear long robes and funny clothes to church, but because we are Pentecostals, because we relate to the day of Pentecost as where we are most comfortable with. We, we love baptism, but we're not Baptists. You know what I'm saying? We love methods, but we're not Methodists. We love the Spirit. That's why we love Pentecost, because that's when that day came. So call me Pentecostal. Amen. If that's an offensive word to you, I'm not talking about what women can wear and not wear. I'm just talking about that day in the Bible is where I relate to. I relate to the fuego de Dios in this corazón. Hallelujah. Burning bright in all of our hearts. Now look what God said, how, we, how it relates. Jesus left. He went to heaven. Disciples begin to do it. Now the thing about it, yeah, some, some prayers didn't get answers by the disciples. We talked about that. Yeah, some of them died. Yeah, there's some things that we need to understand in God's will that may not correlate with, with our perfect plan. But what we do see in the disciples' lives is that they had boldness to preach and that people were getting healed and that there was people getting set free from addictions and demons getting cast out. And the church was growing miraculously, not just because Gary brought Benny and Benny brought Mike. No, because the whole community began to see that something was happening, that there was electricity in those meetings and people could feel God. Now the churches begin to get established. And James, this is the brother of Jesus, James, begins to teach the churches, here's how you administer the power. Here's how you, you operate in this electricity, in decency and in order. Here's how you tap into it. He said, is there anyone among you in trouble? He should pray. It says, is there anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Have we done that today? Praise God. Some of y'all come here happy. Amen. We are praising God, right? Praise God. We're praying. Now look at what it says. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray. So I'm going to ask that Ish and Robin and my wife would come forward and some of our youth leaders, Adolfo and Sue Ellen, and Ricky, would you come up here and just face the front? Nancy, get the oil that's behind me here, please. It's right here. And you all just face everybody right here as we continue to read. Thank you. It says, is anyone sick among you? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so here today, we have oil. There's nothing special in this oil other than the fact that this is a representation of God's Spirit. Now you know why the Spirit of God is so important. The Spirit of God is what empowered Jesus. 
the Spirit of God is what we are empowered by to pray for you. And when we put this on you, doing just what the Bible says, we are showing you in a physical, tangible way that God is touching you in the Spirit, that God's Spirit is anointing you in ways that we cannot see. Amen? And look what the Bible says. Not my words, but the Bible. It says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. God can forgive all that are in this place. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Can you say amen?